Well, hello, Bethany. How are you guys all doing? Drove in here in the rain, made your way in. Maybe this is your first time with us, and uh, this is the day that you've decided to walk into these doors. I'm so thankful you did. It's not easy, especially on a rainy day, and to make your way into a new place. I'm thankful that you're joining us today for worship. Want to say hi to everybody in our fireside venue here at Washington, those who are online. Hey, we are finishing up today a series that we've just simply titled Questions of Jesus. And we've looked at some of the questions of Jesus that hopefully demand an answer from us, and hopefully we look into our heart and uh, we can answer them in a very honest way. Uh, You know, that question that Jesus had asked early on in Matthew 16, who do you say I am, that really demands an answer. And then he kind of has a deeper level question further on in Matthew 16. As a matter of fact, I want you to open up to Matthew 16. If you brought your Bible or if you got maybe, uh, you know, an app that you can open up to. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's fine. There's one in the chair rack in front of you. It's page 798 in one of the Bibles that the church has provided for you. Matthew chapter 16. So it comes on the heels of that question that Jesus asked his closest disciples. That question of who do you say that I am? You might remember that it was Peter who makes what we call the great confession of faith. And he says, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Now, maybe in your mind or your timeline of events, you have that somewhere early on in Jesus' ministry. Like Peter's just catching on. He's just understanding what faith is. But in reality, Jesus' ministry lasted about three and a half years on earth. And when Jesus asked that question of Peter and his disciples, they're about three years in and following Jesus. And so never before have they proclaimed that Jesus is Christ. They followed Jesus for three years. And they never once vocally proclaimed publicly that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And so Jesus asked that question to say, where do I stand in your life? Peter says, you are Christ. You're God's son. You're the Messiah. You're, You're the savior of this world. Three years of following Jesus. And then Jesus takes that, and maybe just a few weeks later, he has this question for Peter and the disciples as well. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 16, let's start in verse 24 together. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And so Jesus sets up the following criteria. If you want to follow him, it's going to be a life of sacrifice, There's not a lot of churches that are preaching that these days. They're teaching, you can have Jesus and he's going to be an addition to your life and he's going to help your life out. Like your life can be Jesus plus. He's just an add-on to whatever you're doing now. You don't have to change anything. Just keep going about the way you've always been doing things. No, no. Jesus says you have to deny your dreams, your wants, your ambitions, your plans. You have to embrace mine. He says the word cross, take up your cross. Well, what's the cross as Jesus talks about that? It's a place of execution. It's not not a piece of jewelry. It's not a a place of freedom just yet. It's not a, a symbolism of salvation. It's a place of suffering. And Jesus says, you have to crucify, you have to kill off your desires, kill off your ambitions, and you start following me. That's the criteria of following Jesus. And here's what he says in some introspective questioning. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Here's the question, verse 26. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is coming 
Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. And Jesus just simply asks the question, what good is it if you gain everything here on earth and you don't think about eternity? And what Jesus does is he has you and I and the original audience, his disciples, consider if they're living life with short-sightedness. Short-sightedness. You ever been on that side of life? Not thinking about the consequences of tomorrow, but just thinking about the enjoyment of today. And you'll put off today what you know you have a bill coming for tomorrow. This happens so often in our financial dealings. Like there, you, you, maybe it's you. Maybe I'm explaining you. Maybe I'm explaining someone you, you know. But it's that person that just lays down the credit card and maxes out the credit card because they can't control themselves. They're too impulsive to kind of handle their finances, and so they, they just lay down a credit card. They want it, they see it, they, they gotta have it. Here's, here's the money for it. And so they have all this accumulation of stuff after 30 days of maxing out their card or a second card, and they've given no consideration for the bill that's to come in the mail. And so when the bill comes in the mail, they hyperventilate. And they go into fits of anxiety and they call people up for help because they feel like their back's against the wall and they feel like life is nearly about over because if you've ever been in some financial dire straits, you know that that's a, that's a terrible feeling, isn't it, friend? Where your heart just sinks and they see that bill and they realize, I messed up. I messed up. I got a lot of stuff. I might have some memories and it shows for nothing because if I could give it all back, if I, if I could return it all, I'd get rid of this anxiety. I'd get rid of this feeling and I'd be back in the, in the black again. But no, I, I couldn't control myself. And I knew a day of reckoning was coming. A bill was gonna come. And now I'm stuck with the bill. And Jesus is saying to, this, to us, one day you will be stuck with the bill. I love how Jesus keeps everything in kind of an investment, financial terminology, don't you? Because we understand that. Because our life oftentimes revolves around money. It oftentimes revolves around that success and money go hand in hand. It often revolves around what's next for us in the future. Well, we always appendage that to money. Well, I have enough money to retire. Well, I have enough money to live on. And Jesus says, you need to quit thinking about the manna of today. And you need to start thinking about the manna of tomorrow. You need to start thinking about, are you investing? Are you doing your banking on earth? Or are you doing that in heaven? And so Jesus is questioning my short-sightedness. He's questioning my short-sightedness as it relates to my soul. Matt, are you thinking about your soul? Brother, are you thinking about your soul? Or are you just thinking about what you can gain here on earth? And there's numerous reasons, friends, why we don't think about our soul. Numerous reasons. Sometimes it's unintentional. We don't really say, hey, God, today I don't want to think about it. We just get distracted. You ever, you ever been to the place where you're just distracted? You, you want to increase your faith. You want God as your focus of your life. You just get distracted. And we just get overwhelmed with life. We get distracted by pursuing other things that, that might seem good, but they just aren't godly. You ever been there where good sometimes defeats in your life what is godly? How about the times when we just get so busy? Some of us wear busyness like it's a badge of honor. Shame on you. Shame on you. God never saw busyness as a badge of honor. Some of you are so busy, you can't even find focus for, for God you can't find focus for your family. You can't find focus for your faith. And I know the reasons why we say we're busy. 
We say we're busy for our family. We say we're busy for our faith, perhaps. But we're running around doing all sorts of things. But very little times are we accomplishing anything. We're just busy. So sometimes we're just distracted is why we, we don't consider the investment we're making in our soul, which will last for eternity. Sometimes we're just, we're just too busy. So distraction and busyness kind of lead me to this, this point that I want to challenge you with because I think Jesus, when he asks the question, why in the world would you pay so much attention to the temporal stuff and totally forget about the eternal stuff, I think he's really challenging us in our lifestyle and whom we're living for. So let me challenge you with three things. First, determine a plan for your life and pursue it. Otherwise, someone will determine it for you. You've been down this path before? Some of you are living a life right now you didn't choose for yourself. It was kind of thrusted upon you, forced upon you. And I always say it like this. Did you know that McDonald's has a plan for your body? You could take the McDonald's plan or you can have some self-control and choose your own plan. Did you know that Walmart has a plan for your money? <laughs> they do. They want it in their pocket. And you can choose to have a plan for your own financial goals or, or you can choose Walmart's plan. Did you know Hollywood has a plan for your mind? They do. And they have a plan for your family as well. And if you're not savvy to those kinds of things, you're going to adjust to their plan rather than focusing on the plan that you want to determine for your life. And friends, today, Jesus is questioning and saying, have you chosen a plan that has nothing to do with eternity, but has only to do with the foolish pursuits of the temporary life? Now listen, before I get further... I'm not one of these pastors, nor do I think Jesus ever proclaimed it this way, that you can't have success in life. You can have a great deal of success. As a matter of fact, it's my opinion that Christians should have the greater success than anybody else in this life because we know how to handle our finances. We know how to handle relationships. We know how to love the hard to love people. We know how to walk in this world with an air of grace and truth mixed together. It should be the Christians that are the most successful people in life, but success is gonna be defined much differently than the way the world defines it. And friends, you can have finances and you can have great relationships and you can have lavish vacations. You can even have a second home. You can have doctorates and you can have degrees and you can have trophies. You can have all that stuff and still maintain a higher priority for Jesus Christ. It's not going to be easy, but you can get it done through God's spirit in your life. But you've got to determine your plan. Here's the second part, second challenge. Get focused on something, otherwise... You'll be, chasing, you'll be chasing everything. I've been there. I've been there. Didn't get focused on something, chased everything. You know, and I'm not going to sell you the blues of ministry, man. Ministry is awesome. And if, you, if anybody's considering to go into the ministry, you should. You should. It, it's not always easy, but man, it is so, there are so many benefits and so many joys in knowing that your life's work is, is investing in others and expanding God's kingdom. Okay, enough about that. But, but there are some dark sides of ministry. You want to know one of the dark sides of ministry? Never talk about it much. It's hard to say no to you. It's hard to say no to you all. And as the congregation gets bigger and you're in the thousands, there are thousands that want us to say yes to them. So whether it's dinner or whether it's go on vacation or spend some time or whatever it might be, you have to determine now to say yes or no. And I can't say yes to everyone or everything. And so my wife and has learned, my wife and I have learned the art of saying no. Now, some of you don't like it, but you know what? My, my kids love it because I don't want to sacrifice my kids at the church altar. 
and uh, raise a bunch of faithful people, but forget to raise faithful kids. And so we've learned the art just to say, no, no, some of you are like, that, I, don't, I don't like that. I don't like that. I do. Because it's protecting my wife. It's protecting my kids. It's protecting, it's protecting my soul. Because I have some things that I want to focus on. I have some things of faith that I need restored in my life and some things that I need to implant in my family. And maybe for you, you're just focused on the wrong thing. You haven't learned the art of saying no just yet. And you need to say no to some good things so that you can start saying yes. Now catch this, to some godly things. Here's the third thing I wanna challenge you on is consider the plans God has could just be greater than the plans that you've made for yourself. Have you ever thought that way? As a matter of fact, I'll sit here and I'll say, in, in a ton of truth, God's plans are always better. God's plans are always better. Now, they're much different. And I think the problem has been that we've equated different with no good. That different means that it's not good. Now, listen, I recognize that if you were to walk the path of Jesus and truly crucify yourself and live for him, it's going to be a much different life than the ones that we're leading right now. It's going to be a life that is simply says, here I am, Lord, send me to wherever you want me to go. Have me become whoever you want me to be. It removes yourself and it allows Christ, our Savior, to really make our pursuits for us. And it's about trust. It's about saying, God, I trust you more with my life and more with my future than I'm trusting in myself. I want to introduce to you someone that gets that done really well. He's our missionary to India. It's T.B. Paul. T.B. Paul is like the godfather, man. I just call him, I'm like, here, here's the godfather right here. And you say, why would you call him the godfather? This guy at one point in my ministry just looked at me dead in the eye and looked deep into my soul, laid his hands on me. He said, brother Matt, you will do great things for the Lord. And look at, yeah. And I think right there, he stole a little bit of my soul as well. Um, T.B. And, and I are of the same ilk. So, as leaders of things, we are doers, okay? So there's three kinds of leaders. There's doers, there's feelers, there's thinkers, and um, we're doers. We just, let's get it done. But a part of being a doer, and this is where you, you, can, only, you can only succeed as a doer if you have patience. I have a little bit of it. Brother, you got a ton of it. And your faith, like he is a spiritual father to me when I look into his life and I'm like, I want to be T.B. Paul. But I want to be six foot one and, yeah. But I still want to be T.B. Paul spiritually. T.B., would you help, help us out in, in continuing with this sermon? And would you help us and tell us how hard it is to be a man of faith and a believer in a, in a culture that doesn't care about our Christ? Um. Before uh, that one, I would like to greet all of you. And also, I bring greetings to all of you from the family, NSCA family back in India. Uh, in fact, founded by, you are the one of the founding churches. So I thank uh, God for being with all of you here and standing before you and sharing the need, the, how God is working there. Now, regarding difficulties, uh, of course, uh, uh, to put it in short, we face four kinds of difficulties. One is difficulties that we face regarding faith because we preach one God, but whereas they have multiple gods. For everything, they have one God or goddesses. And then secondly, we face the cultural you know, differences because they have 
very complex in nature, very typical uh, beliefs and practices. So we believe in Christ, and, and whereas they believe in multiple gods and goddesses. In fact, they worship the seasonal gods. You know, what you call, if you need money, they worship one goddess. If they need education, they worship another goddess. Like that, you know, mm -hmm. just uh, whatever, for every need, they have one god. And then thirdly, we have the uh, difficulties uh, facing the social system that they have developed in that country. They believe that uh, God himself created uh, the human beings in uh, four caste systems. You know, one is hierarchy, Brahmins, Kshatriyas, Vaishyas, Sudras. And then later they also introduced another caste, untouchables. So unfortunately when we look into uh, the history of Christianity in India, uh, the Christianity, they, it's, uh, they cleverly identified and just named Christianity mm -hmm. as uh, the religion of uh, untouchables. You're untouchable. <laughs> yeah, I'm untouchable for them. But now, we are, by God's grace, uh, we are able to educate them that uh, we are all one in Christ. Mm -hmm. that, that teaching, slowly people, uh, they are able to understand uh, and come out of their uh, past beliefs and practices. What's the fourth? Uh, fourth one is, of course, finances. <laughs> because, you see, the thing is, uh, when we go, and they, suppose if we ask them to, to contribute, they may feel that we are there to just uh, grab their money, you know, mm -hmm. expecting their money to so, uh, with all your help and prayers, we are able to build the church buildings there yeah. and then, because uh, house prayers not so fruitful uh, back there. Because of the caste system, if I conduct a prayer meeting in one house, other people may not come out there. Or this fellow may not like others to come out. There's certain persecution in India that the Christian experiences from being told you're the, you're the worst of the worst, you're the bottom most, you shouldn't be touched. To, they hold back finances from you. It's so hard to get money over to you guys, but it's also hard for you guys to utilize money there. Yeah. Um, it just carries on. People looking at you and saying, why just one God? We have a dashboard full yeah, yeah. of all of our gods. Just pick what you want, TB. Yeah, yeah. And you have to be true to it. Tell us then. So I'm going to ask the question, how do you stay focused on God and not on the temporal stuff like the world is teaching you? But one thing you need to know, when you go to India, the first time I had been there, we were always waiting on TB, and we're like, dude, this brother, man, he has no concept of time. We're like, you know, like we, they just called it Indian time, which meant like they don't care about the clock. But then we found out that he had, a, he had full concept of time, but he wanted to pray up for the day. And so he wasn't going to just say, I'm only going to spend 15 minutes in prayer. It was, if prayer today lasts two hours, I'll just pray for two hours, and then, then I'll start my day. But I'm going to pray up my day. Tell us how you keep focused on God in a very harsh, persecuted uh, environment. Yeah, and the more we face these difficulties, I personally uh, focus on prayer uh, and also faith, having faith, uh, and then trusting God and His promises. We have a number of promises and assurances in the Bible that we uh, found. Uh, so uh, we have those promises with us and, and uh, we are 
Is it, is, it, is it fair of me to summarize it like this? You pray, yeah. you talk to God, you read scripture, you let God talk to you, yeah. and then you do what he's told you to do. Yeah, that's it. Is it that easy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Translation was, yes, you idiot, it's that easy. That was translation. <laughs> of course, uh, this is uh, Paul's writing in Philippines. Yeah. Where he says we are here not only to believe, the first chapter, last part of the first chapter, we are not only believe, we are here to uh, not only believe, but also willing to participate, partake in his sufferings. Oof. So when we take up, especially in India, uh, a culture like that, when we commit ourselves for the ministry, we should be willing to uh, hmm. accept whatever the problem is. I hope you problem. caught that. And yeah. that's the Apostle Paul's creed of we have a willingness to participate in Christ's sufferings. Yes. That's, that's where this that's leads. True. Hey, real quick, you got to be quick. I want to talk more. Yeah. <laughs> um, to, what do you want to say to all of us that are living in a very comfortable world uh -huh. that thinks very more so than you do yeah. of the temporal, not the eternal? What do you want to say? Yeah, uh, as I see, all of you really joyful, and then you are comparatively well blessed. Yeah, well blessed, but. Jesus also reminds us of secure life and also fruitful life. Because he also gives us the way. You said the, secure life, secure. not secular, secure, secure and fruitful. Fruitful life. You know, secure life, he says, when you love me, you follow me and you take my commandments, the mm -hmm. word of God. And then my father loves you. And he says there, uh, in chapter 14, John's Gospel, mm -hmm. uh, 23 verse, he says, we will come and build our home with you. Yeah. So that means uh, we are in the hands of God, in the house of God. We are well secured, that uh, we don't find anywhere in the world, mm -hmm. I believe. And then regarding fruitful life, he says, abide in me and I in you. Unless you abide in me, you cannot bear much fruit. Mm -hmm. So uh, there is a way, only thing, only way that we have. I always preach there also. We may be having so many blessings, so much of blessed life and all these things. For all these things, mm -hmm. we need security. Security. Mm -hmm. So that security only in Christ we find. Hey, would you, would, I know it will be an honor for you. Would you pray for us? Yeah. For Bethany. Father, we come to the Lord thanking Thee for the opportunity to stand before the founding church of NECA. And the church that is loved by You so much and blessed by You. And receiving abundant blessings from Thee. Lord, we thank for the family of Bethany and the vision that you have given to them to strengthen their kingdom, especially back in India among those Hindu villages. We believe that you would bestow thy blessings abundantly so that they may be a blessing to many people, people like us. We also believe that you would be with them and strengthen them. Give them greater vision 
and use them mightily in thy kingdom. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. 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 TV, I love you. This congregation loves you. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you for you being for the Godfather. Me. Thank you for having you. As we continue to look at that question of Jesus, what does it prophesy a man to gain everything here on earth but not think of eternal things? Let me just ask you some, some questions that you can maybe answer uh, this week or maybe in the immediate. And the first question is, well, what am I doing that I should not be doing? So what are you doing today that is something that you shouldn't be doing because it has no benefit for eternity? And maybe this question is really a question of conviction. It's a question that helps you to look at yourself in a sinful way and say, what are the sins that I need to weed out in my life? What are the sins that I'm entangled on, but yet are still with me? I'm not relying on a savior to break free from that stuff. I've just, I've just decided to live with it or I kind of enjoy it. Um, but yet that's a temporary attitude, not an eternal attitude. And maybe it's a selfish attitude that you might have, a selfish attitude that, hey, I gotta grab and squeeze as much out of life as I possibly can. There's only one life, by the way, so let's live it up. And while that's true, there is only one life, you, you forget that, that there's only a veil that we go to in that one life, that's death. And while we shed this body, our soul and our spirit continue on. And so when we have that mentality that it's, it's one life, and it's called eternal life, and we're living a part of eternal life right now. So how are we investing when that veil of death comes and we shed our body and we're just left with soul and spirit? Are we investing in the internal or are we just investing in the temporal? And so maybe you're looking at it and saying, maybe I, I, just, I just start need to say no to some things, some darkness in my life. I, you know, my, my boyfriend's asking me to move in with him. And no, I'm not going to do that. That's not, a, that's not an eternal investment. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm being asked to take on more time at work. No, I'm not going to do that because uh, that means it's going to drag me away from my family and, and uh, it's probably going to pull me away from my, my faith family as well. I, I, I can't answer this question for you. I can give you a litany of examples, but what is it that God's laying on your heart right now that you need to just stop doing because it's not investing in eternity? I love what Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says. It says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. Like the world has set us up for a different path. God's got a different path for us. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's what it comes down to, thinking differently. Then you'll, you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Let me give you a second question. Second question is this. What am I not doing that I should be doing? So the first question is about stopping something, but what should I start? What am I not doing that I should be doing? Now, this is probably filled with a lot of godly things. Most of us are, are not doing what he just said simply is what he's doing to be faithful every single day. We're not living by God's word because we're not in God's word. We're not hearing from God and walking his path because we're not praying to God and asking that we stay men and women of his will. We're not sacrificing our lives and saying, Lord, here I am, send me. This day is for you and not just for me. Now, that's a tough place to get to. I understand that. That's a very difficult place to get to. But you got to get there first by saying that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the pattern of Peter, isn't it? And then, then Jesus says, if that's true, if you're making that great confession, Peter, are you willing to sacrifice your life and live that belief out? Some of you haven't done that. Now, quite frankly, some of you have said you're walking with the Lord or you're, you're running the race of faith, 
but you've never gone to the starting line. Baptism is that starting line. Baptism is where we say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Baptism is where we say, Lord, I want to give up my wills, my wants, my desires, my ambitions, and I want yours for my life. And you know what's great? God always marries those things together anyway. He purifies your will. He purifies your ambition. He purifies your, your goals. And so he wants to take what you've got. He just wants to refine them. And when we give ourselves over to the Lord and we're baptized in that watery grave, we're given God's spirit, which will help to direct us and be a greater beacon to eternal things rather than the beacon that we have right now. Some of you just need to start the race at the starting line of baptism. And by the way, baptism is the starting line, not the finish line. Others of us, we just need to take the next step. We need to take the next step of our faith. You hear all the time at Bethany, Connection Central, you hear Discover Bethany, and you're like, well, I've been here forever. I don't need to go with Discover Bethany. Yeah, you do. This is a dynamic place, not a static place. This is not the same place it was just a year ago. There's always new ministries. There's always new ideas. There's always new pathways. We want to get you on a pathway of disciple making that says, God, I'm looking for eternal things, not just for temporal things, and get you deeper into things like rooted. Like, how do I read my Bible? How do I challenge my faith? How do I take the next step? Well, you do it in Rooted and you can't do it alone. You got to get into community. You need some people to hold you accountable. That leads you into a thing called small groups. And that's where you start to connect with your church family and you start to grow in the Lord a little bit deeper. Now, some of you have neglected all of that. You've just decided that church is something you go to rather than church is something you're a part of. And I would bet to say that if you're going to ask this question, what should I start? It needs to be, I'm going to start taking my faith very seriously today. Maybe that's the basic answer. I'm going to take my faith very seriously today. But may I warn you, it is going to be near impossible for you to do that alone. You're going to need a community of believers to hold you accountable, to spur you on. Listen, life is not a sprint. Life is a marathon. There's a lot more life probably left to be lived here in this earth, in this body. How about we do it in community together? I love what Matthew chapter 6 verse 34 says. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what you may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. And I know there's a lot of you right now, you're just paying attention to today. And you're saying, well, you know what? I've got today under control. So if I got today under control and God's gonna be with me in my day, I'm gonna start taking some steps forward in my faith. The only problem is others of us, we have our attention on tomorrow. And when we get our attention on tomorrow, we think about all the things that have to be done, need to be done, and we got to get done. And then we say, you know what? All that stuff gets pushed in front of us and we lose our focus of what needs to be before us. And that's Christ Jesus. That's his kingdom rather than our kingdom. You see, too often we're building our castles in God's kingdom. And God says, would you just destroy those castles? Would you build on my foundation? Enjoy my kingdom. He wants to marry your ambitions. He wants to marry your desires. He wants to marry your goals with his. He wants to purify them and make them righteous. Friend, you're gonna find far more enjoyment, far more fulfillment, far more peace in life when you attach yourself to Christ Jesus and you start living for him with eternity in mind, saying, I'm not gonna let anything come between me and the Lord. Nothing will forfeit my soul. You know, the Bible gives us these words and... Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11. It says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. That's true, isn't it? It's never gonna get perfect for you. It just needs to be a day of decision. So here's my question for you. Why not? Why not do it today? All these things that you're contemplating, all these things that you just thought of, the things you need to stop, the things you need to start, why not do it today? What's holding you back from being baptized? What's holding you back from going to Connection Central and say, I just need to be a part of Discover Bethany? What's holding you back? Why not do it today? Today is the day 
of salvation. Second Corinthians chapter 6 says it like this. I tell you now, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Why not do it today in God's favor? The day of salvation. I love the teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 12 where he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We use this all the time. Wherever you're going to place your treasure, that's where your heart's going to be. And I think a lot of us have placed our treasure in temporary things. We've placed so much treasure in earth that it's fearful for us to leave it because we haven't made any investments in heaven. That's what we're getting at. This is what Jesus is asking the question. You say that I'm Lord. You say that I'm Christ. You say that I'm God's son. Are you making the sacrifices to live for me day in and day out? I'm having these conversations right now with my oldest son who is looking at colleges and you know, he's just at that point where everyone's starting to put pressure on him. Poor kid. Man, I hate this part of life. Everyone's, hey, you're, you're 16. You need to know what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Isn't that totally unfair? It seems totally unfair to me as a parent. And so it's what college you want to go to, what career path you want to choose. And he's like, I don't know, dad. I don't know what I want to do. I just want to, I want a job that makes a lot of money. <laughs> so I started to explore some of that with him. I'm like, okay, well, whatever. We'll, we'll walk this path. And uh, so I started telling him some things. I'm like, you can do this, you can do that. You, hey, I said, you can go get this degree and you can do investments. And here's what that looks like. And I'm pretty sure I just explained to him a Ponzi scheme. I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, so I, I don't know if he'll take that or not. Um, and and he, I said, what do you want to do? And he said, I just want to make a lot of money. And um, I asked that question that I ask a lot of my kids. Then what? Okay. William, you made $100 million. Then what? I guess I'll go on vacations. I guess I'll own homes. I guess I'll, own, I'll just relax. I'll take it easy. He could not answer the then what question. Like, can, can you? Can you answer the then what question? Okay, so your business finally becomes wildly successful. You have all the dream vacations stored away and done. You have uh, amassed your degrees and you've got all your education built up. Um, you're the smartest person in the room. And then what? Right? That's got to be the next question because that's the outlook to, well, what is that doing? What's that accomplishing? It's not to say that those things are bad, but when that becomes the focus of our life, we have forfeit our soul. The question that needs to be continually asked, friend, then what? Then what? I love what John Wesley, the great preacher, had said. He had said, I value all things by the price they shall gain in eternity. Don't you love that? I value all things by the price that they gain in eternity. That's the perspective of God. In light of eternity, how should I live? Can you pray with me? Lord, I'm thankful for my faithful father in the faith, TB. I'm thankful for him. I love him. I love his family. I love how they pattern their life after yours. And I want that for me. And sometimes I wonder, am, am I even willing? And so I pray that you just possess within me a willingness to take those incredible steps of faith where I hang off the edge of the limb and just trust in you for that, that strength that, that you'll hold and that I'll just walk out on your promises. I pray that for this entire congregation. I know we want this for our lives and I think sometimes we just realize it's so hard to get to because it means sacrifice. But maybe may we realize that success is found in you purpose is found in you. Meaning is found in you. May that really become clear today and may we live for that every day. May we live for your son, Jesus. And if we've proclaimed that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, may we act out on that in faith. May we be baptized on you. May we walk this with you. And may we, may we truly be men and women that take up the cross 
and sacrifice who we are and start living a new life in you. We pray these things in Christ Jesus and the church says together, amen and amen.